Hey, everybody. What's happening? So, man, a lot of fun last week having Don on the show. It was nice to mix it up, and I appreciate uh, his candor and some of the subjects that he brought with him. The whole thing on homelessness is a sticking point with me, which I had not intended on talking about, but I was really glad that we did, and I hope it didn't bum you all out. I feel it's, it's something we need to discuss more. It's just amazing to me how shitty people can be. The internet has really peeled back the mask on how uninformed and horribly mean society can be. Now, some people just don't care about anyone else's plight, and they refuse to hear a side of a story that isn't theirs. And I, you know, I said this about depression, and it's true about a multitude of other things. Just be a good person. It's not that hard. You know, you'll feel better. All right, so last week, Demi Moore appeared on the catwalk as part of Fendi's fashion show. Nice, right? Nothing to see here. Move along. Ordinarily, you don't even look at that. Uh, No. What walked down that catwalk didn't look a thing like Demi Moore. She had these high-ass cheekbones, face was all sucked in, lips that didn't even resemble lips. She looked more like Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight than Demi Moore from Striptease or G.I. Jane. I love that movie. She was the talk of the forums, apparently. Now, people were up in arms about how horrible she looked and how careless it is of her to appear looking like that because it encourages young women to do stupid shit to their faces. So I guess Demi Moore sees this going on online, and the next day she posts a photo of her and a group of people from either after or before the Fendi show, and she looked nothing like she did on the catwalk. So I I saw the photo comparison, and I have to say that the photo she posted to disprove that look, that that that, that what she did to her face wasn't permanent. Uh, it didn't didn't really fly with me. I mean, it looks like it was taken five years ago or longer. I mean, it's grainy. It's not very sharp. It's off color. Unless it was taken with a phone from like five or ten years ago. If you haven't seen this picture, Google Demi Moore Fendi and see for yourself. I know some really talented makeup artists. I don't know a lot that could pull that off, but I'm not saying it's impossible. Really good makeup artists, you know, they can do that stuff. But unless they have some special fillers that only take effect for 24 hours or something. And I know jack shit about this stuff. She either had one of the greatest makeup artists work on her face, which is possible because Fendi has deep pockets, or she had work done and it's bad. On the other side of the coin, have you seen these commercials for Nutrisystem with Marie Osmond in them? Dude, holy shit. She's 61 now and she looks freaking awesome. She's had work done too, but tasteful. Just enough to keep her looking as hot as she was when we were kids. Remember she sang those horrible songs on television with her brother? You remember that show? Music was so bad, I'd turn the sound down so I could just look at her. That's how you do plastic surgery. I see so many of these women, not even celebrities, they just start looking the same. Especially here, you go to South Orange County, holy crap, dude. They get on a roll doing these surgeries and little by little, suddenly they all look like cat creatures. 
I almost wonder if they go to the same surgeon or if the surgeons have like a, a playbook, the same playbook. Now you lay on the table and you say, okay, you know, give me the number four, turn me into a house cat and give me a side order of dick sucking lips. And I want my ears to meet. I don't get it, man. I know women get upset when they start to lose their looks as they get older. Nature's cruel. They say men look more distinguished. Women start to fade. But I don't see that. I don't get caught up in that stuff. I find a lot of older women attractive. I find it less attractive when I see them start to change their faces so dramatically. But I understand. Look, it's your face. You need to feel good about yourself. Go nuts if you want to. But in my eyes, it's unnecessary. You're beautiful. Yeah, I want to talk about this GameStop stock market fiasco. If you don't know what GameStop is, and I only know because my stepdaughters, like all kids, are heavily into buying and playing these video games. It's a store that sells new and used video games. You can trade in your old games and buy new ones. Kind of like what we used to do in the 80s and 90s with CDs. But now the pandemic's in full force. You know, people aren't going into the stores as often. Digital downloads have become more convenient. And the company was a failing business model. It's not a a model that works anymore. Physical media is dying. Blu-rays, all that stuff, they're all dying. Streaming is the future. Downloading is the future. I mean, so this place is like the blockbuster of video games. It was trading at like $4 a share at the beginning of last year. They give you an idea. Well, the stock is up to $400. Something like that. It's high threes now, I think. So GameStop got caught in the middle of what's known as short selling. And I'm not a professional on this, but I'm going to try to explain it as best as I know how it works. Professional investors will borrow a large number of shares of stock to sell, which makes the stock look bad because it's selling. It drops the price. And once the price of the stock bottoms out, they buy the stocks back at a lower price and return them to the person they, the the place that they borrowed them from. They pocket the profit. They basically, they're bets that the company will fail, which everyone figures it will. Normally, regular investors follow what's called a buy low, sell high format when it comes to stocks. Short sellers do the opposite of that because they're sneaky trickster elites with really deep pockets and they game the system for a living. That's how they make money. They borrow and sell a stock when it's high, bet that it will continue to fall. And if that doesn't happen, and instead the stock market, the stock price rises, short sellers are forced to cover their positions or buy more stocks to minimize their losses. And because short sellers, which are usually, and definitely in this case, hedge funds, they take advantage of people, um, because they're betting against a company's success, it's a risky thing to do. Positive news or enthusiasm for any stock pushes up the stock's valuation, which minimizes profit for a short seller. In the case of GameStop, this group of Reddit users started talking the stock up which increased interest in buying the stock, which pushes up the price and fueled more interest. A bunch of teenagers doing this, okay? Young, you know, 20-somethings. This, in essence, screwed these rich fucks who were trying to game the system. All of that fake trading 
left short sellers with no more, uh, uh, very little shares to buy. I wouldn't say there's none, but there's a, you know, it made it tough because the more they bought to cover their position, it created a short squeeze and left them with millions of dollars in stocks that they bought at a high price. And now they're forced to sell with lower profit margins. It's a brilliant thing to see. And if you ever want to see this in action, uh, the big short is a good example when the real estate uh, bust, when was that? 2000s, early 2000s, I think. Mid 2000s. And there's another one about uh, card counting. Now you see me. What happened next was kind of infuriating. There's this company, Robinhood, is an app and allows you to buy and sell stocks. It's popular because they don't charge commissions on any transactions. But normally, if you buy stocks and you have a stock trader, you pay like a 15% um, fee for a buy order or a sell order. And it's popular, right? You can trade basically for free. Once word got out as to what these Redditors were doing to these hedge fund guys, Robinhood disallowed any more purchases of GameStop's stock. And that looked bad. What we found out later was that Robinhood wasn't really looking out for its customers. They were looking out for hedge funds. Robinhood's big attraction to users of this app is that they don't charge fees on trades, right? On the surface, that looks nice. Sounds like a good deal, right? Too hard to pass up. But Robinhood does make money, not from retail customers, but from these hedge fund guys. What they do is they charge these big boy traders Hedge fund assholes, basically. They charge them for access to the transactions that are made by its users in real time. They get advance notice, right? So the big traders have advance notice on these trades so they can do their magic. They see where the market's going. And basically, their magic is they they fuck the little guy. That's you and me. Nickel and dime day traders. My real portfolio, my long-term one, has pharmaceutical companies, energy corporations, uh, tech companies like Apple and stuff. I invest to play the long game, so it's basically to retire on. It's my retirement money. My play around, because it won't hurt me portfolio, is shitty penny stocks in it. You know, if I win, great. If I lose, it's maybe the cost of a dinner date out somewhere. But I don't even do that stuff anymore. This whole GameStop mania is in large part driven by the fact that hedge funds are short on GameStop. And they need... GameStop's bubble to pop like right fucking now. And it also goes for AMC Theaters, who's also in the mix. If Robinhood actually gave a shit, they would disallow not buying GameStop, but allow selling it. And this would create what's known as a sell-off panic. And Robinhood's not just any broker. This Wall Street's bet crowd on Reddit, that's who they use. I read that the, the, the Reddit group that's responsible for pissing in the punch bowl here, 56% of these Robinhood users own some amount of GameStop stock. It's nuts. So the one percenters are being screwed and outsmarted by the little guy. And I love that. I love a comeback story. And I find it somewhat ironic that a company named Robinhood is being screwed up the ass by people who are stealing from the rich. And the other thing I heard, I, I heard on the Daily uh, New York Times podcast, 
is that the reason why GameStop did what it did, or not uh, GameStop, uh, Robinhood, why they stopped the, the transactions was because they they do pay for those. They, they, you know, it costs them money when they buy and sell stocks, and so many were being traded. The company was running out of money. They were going to go bankrupt. So they had to stop their own bleeding. No football talk this week. In fact, I'm, I'm avoiding the whole Super Bowl thing altogether because the two weeks between the conference championships and the Super Bowl gets irritating. Too many what-ifs, analysis of a game that's yet to be played. I hate it. I do find it interesting that Budweiser won't be an advertiser this year. I hate their beer, but they do hire the best agencies to make their commercials, and I love watching them. I always said if their beer was as good as their ads, I'd be a huge fan. Okay, let's get to it. I've called this week's show Comfort in the Time of COVID. And I've done that for one simple reason. We're mostly stuck at home. Dining in restaurants doesn't look like it's back to normal. And we're either cooking at home or using DoorDash to deliver food to us. There are some restaurants now that allow outside dining, which is nice, but we're in the dead of winter. And who in their right mind wants to eat a hot meal in a 40-degree temperature tent and actually enjoy themselves? I think the short answer is nobody. So I want to share two comforting things that you can make at home. They're both delicious, and one of them is about as trashy as you can get. And that would be something that it came to me recently. I was thinking back to my childhood, and I thought about the fried bologna sandwich. Now, you may remember this, and you may not want it, but when you taste this again, it's going to bring you back to the days when life was simple. You didn't have girl or boy problems. Saturdays were mostly spent in your pajamas, watching cartoons. You didn't have bills or a mortgage. Your mom was still around to dote on you, hand over fist. And if you want to remember what that was like, this is how you do it. Melt one tablespoon of butter in a nonstick pan over medium heat. Add a slice of bologna, get it nicely browned on both sides. Now, if you were grown up an affluent Italian kid, you can use mortadella if you want, but brown it on both sides. If your parents had a particularly good week, you got two slices of bologna. You're obviously doing better now, so brown two slices of bologna. Set the bologna aside. Take two pieces of Wonder Bread, that cheap white shit that you can still find for like a dollar a loaf. Spread a scant amount of mustard on each slice. Mayo too if you're into it. Lay the bologna on the bread. If you've done two pieces, or even if you haven't, add some cheese. Those cheap American cheese slices, which isn't really cheese, it's like cheese food. Who gives a shit, right? Those work great in the sandwich, but if you choose to get fancy, maybe a slice of provolone or Swiss in between each slice of bologna. Turn the bread together and make a sandwich. Melt a little more butter in the pan and grill the sandwich on each side until it's nicely golden brown. Watch your heat, all right? Medium to medium low should work. Don't burn the bread unless you like it like that. Pull the sandwich off, allow it to cool for at least one minute, slice it in half, and enjoy a piece of your childhood. It is low-brow food, all right? Man, does it ever make you look back on the day when you you know, you had holes in the, in the, uh, the, the knees of your jeans? 
We had nothing but our friends to entertain us. When being outside was our internet. Life was really simple, man. And I've been chatting with my good friend Susan. And we have to tell you, uh, I have to give a shout out to Sue. Sue, I love you. Those of you from my life as a foodie may remember Susan. She was the host of a video series called The Naked Wine Show from Frogwater Media. I met her at the Taste Awards. And all you skeeves out there, get your heads out of the gutter. She wasn't naked. She wore a towel, and they just shot her from the shoulders up. And she'd, like, taste wine. Sue's a person who epitomizes what it means to be a Canadian, which to me is synonymous with a generous, nice person. And I'm proud to call her my friend. Anyway, Sue and I both agree that the bologna sandwich, or even better, an old-fashioned grilled cheese sandwich, is best paired with what's coming up next, tomato soup. Specifically, if you were a kid, Campbell's cream of tomato soup, which was like botulism in a can. And I have the best cream of tomato soup recipe, botulism-free, that you're really, you're ever going to taste. You, you will never taste anything like this. And it comes courtesy of Bourdain's Appetites Cookbook. All right, I'm going to give you the ingredients, and you're going to want to write this down. So do some pausing while you do this. Start with 12 very ripe, medium, plum, or small-sized uh, tomatoes. Three tablespoons of unsalted butter or olive oil. One large yellow onion that you've peeled and finely chopped. Two medium carrots, also peeled and finely chopped. Two ribs of celery, finely chopped. Some salt and finely ground black pepper. And you're going to do this to taste, so just set that aside. One large garlic clove, finely chopped. A 28-ounce can of peeled plum tomatoes. Three cups of stock. You can use chicken stock, uh, beef stock, vegetable stock, or even this tomato bouillon. You want three cups. Bay leaf, tablespoon of sugar, tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, and a quarter cup of heavy cream. Now this first part is a little bit of work. You want to bring water in a large heavy bottom pot and bring it to a, a boil. Use a paring knife and cut an X into both ends of each tomato. You're going to blanch these, okay? Once the water is boiled, start adding tomatoes to the pot. You want to work in batches, all right? You don't want to overcrowd the pot. reduces the temperature too drastically and it won't do the job. Take your time with this, all right? Allow the tomatoes to simmer in the water for about a minute, minute and a half until the skin begins to loosen and peel away from the flesh. Use tongs or a, a, a mesh strainer. Remove the tomatoes to an ice water bath. It's a large bowl filled with ice and cold water. Once they're all cool enough to handle, you start peeling off the skin and discard it and take those tomatoes that you've stewed and coarsely chop them. In another large heavy bottom stock pot, the same one if you want to use that, heat the butter until it's just simmering. Add the onion, the carrots, and the celery. And keep this at medium-high heat and stir it until they soften and begin to release their juices. It takes about two minutes. Season that with salt and pepper. Stir in the garlic. Continue to cook this. Stir frequently until the vegetables start to brown. Seven to ten minutes should do this. Don't let them scorch. Don't let them get dark brown or black. Just light brown. Nice color. Stir in the fresh tomatoes that you've just cooked. And put in the canned tomatoes and the juices. Rinse the inside of the can with a little bit of water. Get everything out of that can. 
add all that to the stock pot. Once the mixture begins to bubble, start adding the stock, throw in the bay leaf, add the sugar and the vinegar. Bring this to a boil, reduce it to a simmer, cook it for about 30 minutes uncovered. Now remove the pot from the heat, take the bay leaf out, let this cool down for about 30 minutes, you don't want it too hot, and start pureeing it in batches in a blender. Add this back to the stock pot over medium heat, stir in the cream, and start adjusting the seasoning with salt, pepper, sugar, and vinegar until it tastes like you want it. This is undoubtedly one of the best soups I've ever tasted in my life. And I just love cooking Bourdain's recipes because uh, it just takes me back. All right, so I found this article a little fascinating. A Canadian man with a love for spicy food, he broke a Guinness World Record by eating three Carolina Reaper chili peppers. These are the hottest chili peppers in the world. And he ate them in under 10 seconds. So Guinness shares this video of Mike Jack downing three peppers in 9.72 seconds. And he lives in London, Ontario. The record-keeping organization said the rules required each pepper to weigh at least 0.18 ounces. Jack also had to provide a certificate that verified that the chili peppers that he ate during the attempt were in fact Carolina Reapers. Now, I don't know how many chili heads I have out there, but let me assure you that Carolina Reaper is the work of the devil. The hottest pepper I had tasted prior to trying this Reaper was the Bootjalokia, or ghost pepper. And I could not eat an entire one of these things. I grew them one year because I got fascinated about them. Uh, I was doing a dynamite Thai food challenge with my friend Joe. It was some of the hottest food I'd ever eaten. So I grew these. They got ripe. I picked one. I slivered a piece of this off and I ate it. I'm not joking. It took 20 minutes for my mouth and tongue to get back to normal. I couldn't imagine eating an entire one of these things, let alone an entire reaper pepper, which did real damage to me when I tried it. This guy chewed and swallowed these things in nine seconds. I watched this video online and all I could think was, man, I hope this guy put an entire roll of toilet paper in the freezer before he did this. Because I'm telling you, he's in for a rough night. So after I finished that time meal, I made a joke that it felt like Casper, the unfriendly ghost pepper, was fucking me in the ass. I mean, look this guy up in 10 years, see if he's not wearing a colostomy bag. Now, people always ask, why? Why do you do this? Why eat something that causes you so much pain? I'm telling you, it's a pleasure-pain thing. When you get a hit of capsicum that high on the scale, it's almost like an instant endorphin rush. It's the same rush that takes me 30 minutes of running to achieve, or a steep hill climb on my bike that takes almost as long. This is instant. It's euphoric. And when you achieve it, it's like a drug, but it's natural. And there are some health benefits from eating chili peppers, but not what this guy did. I mean, he's going to bore a hole in his colon or bleed out the ass. I hope it was worth it. Speaking of the Guinness Book of World Records, when I went camping with Don, I swear to God, he may hold the record for shortest amount of time from head hitting the pillow to falling asleep. Two nights we were out there. We'd say goodnight from our respective tents, right? No joke, 45 seconds later, he's snoring. And that means he was probably asleep 
15 seconds before that. I don't know anyone who snores immediately after they fall asleep. I know when I do snore, it's quite a while after I've fallen asleep, from what I've been told. But what a gift to be able to fall asleep that fast. I have to be really exhausted to fall asleep within minutes, let alone seconds. And I hope he didn't think that I was poking fun, as I wasn't. I was in awe of him. It's something I want in my life. And his quote was, he attributed this to fresh air, good bourbon, and a toasty warm sleeping bag. I'm like, dude, I was breathing in that fresh air. I had a finger of that bourbon, and I had a pretty toasty sleeping bag, and it took me almost an hour to fall asleep. One of the things about COVID that I'm finding really disturbing is that people who get it bad enough lose their sense of taste and smell. In most cases, it it comes back eventually, but there are reports that I've read that, you know, a lot of people don't get it fully back. Some don't get it back at all. Can you imagine how hard that must be to live with? Not being able to smell or taste things. That's like at least 50% of the enjoyment of life. We smell and taste our food, coffee in the morning, showers, hiking in the mountains. Imagine not being able to enjoy that sweet air, the scent of pine trees, sagebrush, campfires. The worst part is that they're saying it could really affect people because of hygiene. And you'd never know if you had BO because you couldn't smell yourself. Imagine what that would do to someone's head. You got people quietly coming up to you to let you know you smell funky, but you had no idea. It's embarrassing. It's better than dying from it. All right, don't get me wrong. But man, this thing just destroys stuff in your body. All right, so this guy stops off at a local bar after work to have a drink. He stays a little longer than he intends to. Has about seven drinks. Gets up from his seat, feels a little wobbly, ends up puking all over the front of his shirt. Oh, shit! Bartender comes over. What's wrong, buddy? I just puked all over my shirt. My wife's gonna know I've been drinking. I'm so screwed. Don't worry, bartender says. You have a $20 bill? Drunk guy says, yeah. He says, give it to me. Bartender takes the $20 bill, folds it up, tucks it into the pocket of his shirt. Drunk says, what's that for? Bartender says, you tell your wife you went to a bar for a drink. Another guy had too much to drink. He threw up on your shirt, but he gave you this $20 to have your shirt dry cleaned. Drunk guy goes, you're a fucking genius. So he drives home, gets in the house, closes the door. Honey! I'm home. Wife comes running down the stairs. Oh my God, where have you been? And what happened to your shirt? Drunk guy says, don't worry. Once there's a bar, have a drink. This guy had a little too much to drink, puked on my shirt, but he gave me his $20 bill to get a dry clean. She walks over to him. There's $40 in here. He says, yeah, well, he shit my pants too. You remember a few weeks ago, I talked about Philly particularly Eagles fans and the city of brotherly love. So I'm watching all of these old episodes of food shows that I've collected. I came upon the Philadelphia episode of The Layover, which was a side show that Bourdain did for two seasons. And in one of their B-roll shots that shows the public transportation system, 
there's this kid yelling at the camera from across the track, selling if it was a subway or something. And he's flipping the camera off because he was being filmed. That's what I'm talking about. People can just be hostile for no reason sometimes. And it has nothing to do with Philly, but this is just a perfect example. I mean, why do that? Why can't people just be nice? Imagine that little shit is looking back on that, thinking how good he had it back then. Didn't have to wear a mask everywhere he went. It's a lesson to be learned, and I'm being serious. Enjoy every day of freedom that we have. You have no clue what tomorrow will be like living here or anywhere else. We bitch and moan about the silliest shit instead of enjoying the moment. A couple years passed, suddenly you have this fear of impending doom every time you leave the house. Get over yourself. Uh, That's the show this week. That's all I got. Thanks for listening to me ramble on about stock market and comfort food. If you aren't following the show on Twitter, it's at the inane podcast. It's available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can subscribe through the website, philnagash.com forward slash inane. I'll see you all again for more nonsense next week. We'll talk about the Super Bowl. Until then, stay safe. Salud.